Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 64. Uh, last week we were in Ayrshire, next week we'll be in Dumfries, but this week we're in New Zealand. So we're doing some globetrotting today. Today we have someone that, um, if my mum is listening, which I'm sure she will be, uh, is uh, someone my mum's a big fan of. Her book is currently in our living room at home. And uh, yes, so somewhat of a famous character in the Curry household. Uh, Philippa Cameron is our guest today. Philippa, would you like to say hello? Kia ora, hello. What was that? What was that word? Oh, kia ora. It means hi. Oh, kia ora. Kia ora. That's the one. Learning different languages. Fantastic. Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2 cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer. A weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry. The Scottish farmers got it for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the fun things about filming with someone across the world is uh, the time zone thing. I've got someone from Canada, someone from the States, someone from New Zealand, and hopefully someone from Kenya, all in this sort of week of filming. And uh, the first thing I always ask is, right, what time zone are we in? So currently, Philip has just dropped the kids off at school and I am, after this, going to go to bed. So <laughs> that is where we are uh, from a time zone perspective. So um, very much looking forward to this because um, if you, before you, maybe if you want to, uh, before we listen to this podcast, go and look up Philippa on Google. There's a lot there. Um, she is an author. She is on the farm. She's been a teacher. She's done everything. So it's going to be a really, really cool chat today. But could you tell us, Philippa, a bit about yourself? Who is Philippa Cameron? Yeah, I can. So I'm Philippa. Uh, I live in a little town called Otamatata, which is in the Waitaki Valley. So if you're looking at a map of New Zealand, um, we're in the South Island in the middle and look for some big lakes. And, and we live just below Lake Benmore, which is a big hydro dam and lake. Um, I farm here with my husband. We've got two little girls. And um, we, we live on a station that, oh, how many houses? I think we've got five houses filled with staff that live alongside us here. And it's, it's funny, the one thing you, you've written online about uh, your husband, and I think it's brilliant, is he is kind of, is it fifth generation your partner is? Yeah, fifth. Yeah, and the thing I love is that you write your girls are the to-be sixth generation, which I absolutely love. Are, are they, they're obviously still quite young, but are they keen on the farm, the outdoors, that sort of thing? They are. So, yeah, they, they're still quite young. So um, our eldest, Flora, is seven and youngest, Evelyn, is five. And just yesterday, actually, um, we were we were scanning at um, some yards at the back of the property and I left the girls there when I ran back to get lunch and the youngest was pretending to be a dog in the back of the yards and um the shepherds named her Tallulah, so she was, t- okay. <laughs> was get him behind. And um, well, the eldest sat on a fence post and read a book. So <laughs> they they love being out there and they love being involved, but they they both take it in two different ways. I mean, what what a life that is, really, isn't it? You know, it just having you know that unlimited access to being outside. To to you know, I think I think I've spoken different folk about this. I think kids having a pet. Is, a, is almost a lost art and, and it teaches you so much you know um 
even if that pet's a Tamagotchi, you know, <laughs> you got, <laughs> something to keep alive is good. And I'm just going to say, guys, um, and this is not for Philip, I've already told her, but everyone listening or not listening, if you're watching it, I'm quite emotive with my hands. You'll notice this hand's doing a lot more. Um, I was in hospital because I thought I'd broken my collarbone last night. So this hand's a wee bit sort of... <laughs> Uh, we called it gammy it's just a bit gammy yeah gammy perfect yeah use use gammy here as well and uh yeah so that's that's the the reason for that one um you mentioned the farm there philippa which we'll, we'll get into uh mm. and, and it's quite a quite a notable place um and i'm glad that you said where you were from because i was going to butcher that name <laughs> waitaka waitiki I, I didn't know where i was going um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, glad you said that on yourself. Are you from a farm um, previous to where you are now? I grew up in a rural area, but um, I grew up on seven acres. So just a little corner of, of, a, of a property. Yeah, and so to, to now live here, it's um, very different in comparison, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and what, what did you do before getting into farming then? Or yeah, so I, I, I was a teacher. Um, I went to university in Dunedin, which everyone calls the little Scotland of New Zealand. Uh, I, um, yeah, and then taught for many years. Was that at primary school, high school? Yeah, so primary age. Um, and my favourite year to sort of teach was around that five, to six, seven-year-olds. Yeah. They've got some brilliant minds at that age, haven't they? Some of the questions. Oh. So many questions, absolutely hilarious. But what I kind of love about that age is that you can see their progress every day. You know, the excitement of, you know, remembering how to spell a word or, um, you know, yeah, it, it's quite cool. The daily, the daily um, rewards are great at that age. Definitely. And I mean, it's just probably some folk that, list, that know me are listening thinking, you know, they can still see Wallace learning to spell words. It's quite impressive. Um, but the, uh, the the thing that always amazes me, is I mentioned sort of the questions they have. We do a thing in Scotland here. You guys might do it too. It's called RET here in Scotland, which is basically trying to teach school kids about farming because it's not really part of the curriculum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got a master's degree. I'm an agricultural lecturer. They ask me questions and I'm like... I don't know. <laughs> How have you come up with this? Where's that question came from? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, quite quite a rewarding age. So how long have you not been teaching for? Well, I, I taught right up until I had my first. So it's nearly been seven years. And I do a little bit of relieving every now and then. But to be honest, it's been a bit, it's been a bit hectic lately. So I kind of um, are declining offers of relieving more than I am actually accepting yeah. them. Yeah. No, I can I can imagine. Um, given you know, following your Instagram feed and whatever, uh, it's quite a busy life. And you mentioned you were brought up on seven acres. Okay. Uh, we we've managed to avoid mentioning uh, the size of the place you're on at the minute. Could you tell us the size of where you are now? From seven acres, yeah. bear in mind. From seven acres to just over a hundred thousand acres, so <laughs> forty thousand ish hectares. Yeah. Quite something. Quite something, quite something, ranging from flats to um, very sort of mountainous, yeah, well, to us they're hills, but I've walked up Mount Nevis, that's not a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it technically is, but you know. It's like... <laughs> no, no, to be honest, I will never be summiting another country's highest mountain, so I'm going to, going to keep that one and... <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's great cool to be able to have done that for sure. Um, so for, the, for reference there, maybe some of you don't know sort of area conversions and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure Aaron, which for a lot of the guys that know me, island I'm from, is over is 104,000 acres. So pretty much you farm Aaron, which I am aware of at least 30 farmers on. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just just trying to fathom that area, there, there must be spaces you just haven't been to. Or, or yes. maybe that's... Yeah. No, well, that I personally haven't been to. Um, so we farm here with my father-in-law and, and my husband. And I would say that my father-in-law probably has touched ground in, in every part. Um, and my hubby, he, he sees, he, he's a helicopter pilot. And um, we use the helicopter a lot here for mustering and, um, and for doing little jobs that are just a little bit further away to get to at certain times of day or certain times of the year. And and he would he would know just about where every gate was on the property. Whereas I'm the person who's left trying to, you know, someone will say we're going out to Long Gully, and I'm like, oh, is that the one? That's just oh dear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a lot to remember. It's a lot of places to remember that. And I can just imagine that your your father-in-law there, you know, he's been there his whole life and just knows it like the back of his hand you could hide forever <laughs> I don't know why yes. hide was the choice but you could um, you could <laughs> so helicopter piloting was that for the farm or was that a happy coincidence it's really interesting you say that because just just busy writing a second book and in it I was interviewing my father-in-law and um I sort of and he also flies. He is the one who introduced the helicopter to the property. And I said to him, you know, was that his idea, like trying to, you know, not stamp his mark, but make a mark on the farm at a young age. And he said, no, that it was actually his father's idea. And that he saw it being the future of farming that, you know, two week long musters were, were starting to be sort of phased out, you know, um, having to employ large numbers of, of men when there were, you know, more mechanical things that could could help. So he sort of saw that. And so um, my father-in-law went and got his, his helicopter license. And then once he got his hours up, flew up to Auckland and um, flew home a brand new um, Hughes 300 helicopter. And so... Um, yeah, that it, it has sort of revolutionised the way that we farm here on the property. And then, yeah, my obviously my husband grew up with fl- flying being a regular daily activity, and obviously loved it as well. So when I when I met Joe and when I married Joe, he was actually an airline pilot. He um, flew A three twenties, and and we lived in cities in Australia and here in Christchurch. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So excellent. Um, both the um, so my husband Joe has a sister Olivia, and both of them were always encouraged to to leave the farm, to to get a profession, leave the farm, and then you know that if it calls you back, it, it calls you back, and if it doesn't, then just um, you know make a plan around it. So yeah, so he flew for a long time. So we've only been home here. We've only been home maybe six years, six and a half years. So, so basically, when you became parents, was about when. Yeah, and you know, it was a big part of the decision. We sort yeah. of sat there, and we had a newborn baby, and you know, thought, how do we want our family life to look like? And and as much as I grew up on seven acres, grew up in a great little area, and um, and both of our values and morals, and and things that we enjoyed about our 
upbringing all came back to the lifestyle of growing up rurally, um, you know, outdoors, growing initiative. Um, yeah, so we're like, well, actually, we've got an opportunity to do that. So here we are. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and it sounds quite, you know, it just sounds as idyllic the word. I don't know. It sounds really enjoy nice as young parents, that sort of thing. Though. Um, is helicopter piloting something you would consider piloting? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. You know, I am that person. Um, I've I've how the jewels were in the in the helicopter one day, like so that you know, and if an instructor was in there, and I put my hand on the controls, and it is just so delicate that. I no, not for me. No. So you were just woof. <laughs> yeah, didn't even get to that stage. I was just like, no, I don't actually want to be a part of this. <laughs> Fair enough. At least you get something. But I enjoy, I enjoy flying. I enjoy I enjoy going out, and I try I try and jump in the seat as often as I can. Be some gorgeous views. Um, mm, definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, lovely. Um, you mentioned sort of the, the the coming back to farm and and you've also also said the size of the farm which is quite something um is the farm owned by the family or is that a lease thing no, is great that question so um the the forty thousand hectares of it a very small percentage is freehold land the rest of it is called a crown lease which means okay. that we we lease it off the government and um and so that has some you know, you can't build a house on it or you can't, um, what's the word? Like you can't be propagating it or putting on any type of infrastructure without having to to obviously apply to the right places and whatnot. Um, and so, but my father-in-law, um, and, and his father before him and things, yes, they they own the property. Um, Joe and I are just, just meal employees. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure that's not the case. Um, it's it's just quite interesting because I mean, like house price, sorry, land prices is a thing that that's massive in the UK at the minute. It's just impossible, you know, yeah. to buy anything. Is that the same in New Zealand or house prices? Yeah, too? very yeah. much so. Yeah, um, like a great little farm just down the road. The other day, yeah, and oh, how many? How much was it? It was maybe. 2,000 hectares and you know we're, we're looking at six and a half seven million dollars yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, what quality of ground is that is that again mixed from as you say flats yeah, mixed, mixed with flats and irrigation to, to to good hill country great for sheep great for beef yeah, yeah. yeah. no it's it's scary it's, it is quite funny that you say uh i think you said a small farm down the road that was 2,000 hectares it's just it's just a a different world of size over there compared to what but then we in comparison to australia forty thousand hectares is tiny <laughs> so. yeah we can barely put a cow on that you know <laughs> <laughs> um and talking about the livestock side we've, we've talked about the size size mm. of, of the farm itself but before we get into livestock how many how many staff members have you got you mentioned sort of the the, the, the utilization helicopters as well as sort of cut that down over the years but you've also got houses to house staff as well so yeah so next to us um <laughs> we live in a little cottage at the end of the drive and the next house up from us is our stock manager and he's married with well nearly three babies one due any minute 
Um, and then we have our shepherd's quarters, which has anywhere between two and four shepherds in it, depending on how busy we are. Um, my father-in-law um, lives just over the hill. And then just on a property, not like just a different gateway down the road, um, there's two houses down there where our tractor driver and mechanic lives with his family. And then um, there's a block manager down there with his family as well. So... Is that, yeah, is that seven, seven to nine? Is that put on that right? Seven. Yeah, so, yeah, seven to nine is shepherds. And during really busy times, um, like landmarking, tailing, that, that sort of time, yeah, we get up to about 10. Right, yeah. Not quite the operation, but, and we haven't mentioned the number yet, uh, mm. we will, we'll, we'll say why it's quite an operation. How many livestock have you got? Sheep and beef, I believe, is that right? Um, yeah, so sheep and beef. Um, we are predominantly merino sheep. We've got some, oh, so we've got 30,000 merino sheep. And, <laughs> and um, of that, there is about 11,000 ewes. And so um, the ewes, we've just finished scanning lambs. And of course, the ones that are dry several times to the merino rams will send down the road to our other block that I just talked about. And they get crossed with a Suffolk ram and then, um they get that those lambs get sold for for meat through a company called cilia which is a merino meat um sort of business yeah and one thing that's really sort of unique for us is that we have a really large weather flock because of the way that the farm's situated and the high country the weather's really um they, they thrive out there. There's another really great property down near Lake Wakatipu um, called Mount Nicholas. And they, they have also a really large weather flock. But between the two of us, we're probably the only ones that keep weathers these days. So I'm going to ask a question that to a lot of farmers in Scotland might sound like a really stupid question, but you'll see why I ask it. So let me finish the full question before I ask <laughs> it first. Are you keeping weathers more than to go to be killed because they're merino for wool? Or are they still just to be killed? No, so for wool, definitely for so wool product. No, not 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 a stupid question at all. We're just really lucky with the high country. The weathers, they they love it out there. They only come in twice a year, once to be shorn and once um in the autumn, and then they come in for a crutch and um and a dag and and go back out again. So um I, they're my favourite. They're cute little old men. They're really um, grumpy <laughs> when you make them move anywhere. Actually, um, the Canterbury University did a really great study on them. Oh gosh, it'd probably be a good 10, 15 years ago. And they put GPS collars on the on a few of the weathers and they went out to the back of the range. And on the other side of us, there's a great range called the Hawkden Range. And on the other side of it is a national park, the Otiaki National Park. And there's no fences up there. And so anyhow, these weathers were roaming around all, all um, summer long. And then when it came to the autumn muster, they obviously went and mustered them and brought them back. And the, what the study showed is that these weathers all summer long just went all over the back of our range, down into the national park. But when the weather started to get colder, they came up over the range and started to, to come to, to make to migrate back down into our, our winter country. So they're really cute, but, um, you know, sort of intuitive. They're, yeah, they're really I think sheep have this sheep are stupid thing. 
there's, oh, a, no. there's there's a part to it you can see where it yeah. comes from but for the most part it's just not a case you know like you said intuitive they they're working to the environment they know where's safe when and they know where's not safe when um and just just for the guys listening if you don't know and uh, we're talking about weather here we're not talking about the sun and the rain <laughs> we're talking about castrated male sheep um yeah you might know them as tegs is another word i've heard but, uh, uh, yeah no it just so- just it's quite in my job you hear the different names for, for different yeah. things Sorry, going to, talking <laughs> about the wool that the weathers bring in so we keep them um f- for that wool because merino wool is is an exceptional product and and we get like our wool check is our income um here in new zealand the strong wool farmers are really struggling to find buyers for their wool and and it's really sad to see and it's it's happened with the introduction of synthetic fibers and you know, once it was a strong carpet industry, synthetics has taken that over. Um, but there is a really great New Zealand company called Cavalier Brimrith that's um, ditched all these synthetic carpets and they've gone back to, to a strong wool. And we just heard the other day that um, there's an apartment building being built in New York that is going to be sus- a, based on a sustainable model. And they're using all of Cavalier Brimrith's wool, all New Zealand strong wool farmers carpet which is fantastic but for us our um our crutchings and our pieces you know the wool that oh, that's the dog um so all those all those pieces that fall on the floor at at shearing time um we get more for that than what our strong wool farmers get for a bale of their fleece well i was going to say you, you won't be aiming for the carpet market you'll be aiming no. for yeah, for so, sure. I was going to say, like, yeah. Uh, no, so we we have a contract with Raider, which is an Italian fine wool suit. Um, have you heard of the the apparel <laughs> called Icebreaker, which is like a um, it's like a, a fine merino um, sports layer. Like, um, they do like singlets and thermals and jumpers, um, right. and yeah everything from from suits to a pair of runner's socks yeah so that everything every everything um yeah like merino wool is it, it it's it's fine so when you have it against your skin it doesn't itch it it breathes um so you can wear it in the summertime and and it sounds silly to be wearing a wool product in the summer, but it's not. You put it against your skin and it regulates your temperature. So when you're really hot and sweaty, it will actually cool you down and it doesn't smell. That's hyperallergenic. Got to sound like a saleswoman. Um, <laughs> but There's then in the reverse. So you, oh, sorry. I, I was going to say in the reverse, when you wear it in the yeah. winter, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's you don't overheat in it so you can have it on all day long and you never think oh i need to get this off i'm i'm dying of heat here yeah yeah sorry sorry for getting jumping over you there uh, i don't know if there's a bit of a, a lag on it but um i was agreeing with your salespersonship um like there, there's so many benefits to using wool over over alternatives like you're saying and i mean one thing you didn't mention i think wool is about 50 percent carbon so <laughs> you're shearing what however many thousand sheep every year you're putting a lot of tons of carbon away. Um, yes, and that's, that's, mm, and that's one thing that we're really um, we're really fighting for here at the moment is to have that um, have that recognised. Unfortunately, yes. here in New Zealand, um, our current government seems to be um, 
on a world stage, it looks fantastic, but um, here they're not recognizing um, the carbon that the farmers are putting into the soil. Um, they're putting a lot of effort into carbon farming trees, um, which so land prices, a lot of farmers are selling to forestry um, and putting in trees. It's, it's actually really sad. Whereas of this 40,000 hectares, there's a lot of land out there that's in beautiful tussocks, just, um, but they're sort of knee high, whereas they've got to be five metres to be recognised over here for carbon credits. But we know that those tussocks are putting in just as much gorgeous stuff into the soil and the soil itself is sequestering carbon. So it's, yeah. That I have spoken so many times on the whole carbon thing. I'm not an expert at all, but I get the sort of main premise of both sides. Uh, and it, it's, you said on the world stage, your government's great. I mean, we always see the likes of Arden and all that to be the best, best uh, politicians in the world. But then I speak to people from New Zealand and I'm like, hmm, <laughs> this seems mm. to be slightly different. Uh, <laughs> which is quite interesting but I mean the the um the carbon thing that certainly our problem here you're talking trees that's that's the thing here we're chucking trees on arable ground and it's like put it on a hill <laughs> you know stop putting this on good ground and that's fine yeah. but the problem at the minute is the calculators like you're saying are not correct they're not picking up the right things we haven't chosen on one we're all going to use it's all yes just not recognizing everything yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, which is a worry. Like, do you have arable ground? Um, yeah, yeah, we do, but not yeah. much. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, like, the, the argument, the arable ground always flies up looking good in, in a carbon uh, audit. But a lot of places now we're looking towards men and no tills for sure. But a lot of places are turning that ground over every time. And it's just every time a cow or a sheep or whatever eats a bit of grass, that grass fights to put more carbon back in the ground to create energy like it's it's so much yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna sit and fight with carbon <laughs> even though we both agree about it but uh, it's um it's, it's a bit of a worrying one uh, where it is a worrying one yeah <laughs> yeah and and look, we could talk about it for hours but at the end of the day people who like any farmer loves their environment they're never going to abuse it and and that's the one thing that i find a little bit heartbreaking is that it's assumed sometimes that that farmers aren't caring and it's an absolute complete opposite but even if you forgot the environment why would a farmer do it because if they ruined their ground they ruin yeah. their one money money stream like why would yeah, they do yeah. that um, exactly it's, it's refreshing to hear about um maybe not the full wool sector in new zealand but certainly how Will is impacting you guys in the the, the uh, income generation there because I mean it's merino wool is the wool yeah we, we're all aware of that it's the best wool <clears throat> it's not a, a breed that we use here in the UK but just for reference it might be interesting to you I know you've got some friends here in Scotland Philippa uh, but one thing I've spoken about a few times is our wool check last year for thirteen hundred kilos of wool was twelve pounds not twelve hundred. 12 pounds so less than a penny <laughs> per kilogram um wow and that's, that was a, it's very similar i think to maybe what some of the strong wool farmers are getting here yeah is it yeah so that's not yeah. just a uk thing no well i i, I understand <laughs> that some strong wool farmers are actually just dumping their wool they're not even selling it yeah. which is no, happening here too. silly isn't it <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's sad actually um you were saying there's a bit of a push uh 
at New, in New Zealand for a sort of four wool, it, I would say, yes, the farmers are pushing to a point, but there's only so loud the farmers are. The unions yeah. are working together, but there's pushes and policy away from it. Uh, you know, the looking towards sort of creating vegan environments in general, whether that's houses, whether that's whatever, so you can't use it for insulation, that sort of thing. Um, but yes, yeah, it, seeing the wool industry in, in New Zealand, and I think Australia's got it as well, I think China somewhat has a wool industry is is really refreshing to see that it is there's some being used out there. And one thing I wanted to mention to you, uh, you mentioned a company there that I didn't know. We had a, a lovely lady stay in our um, B&B just a few weeks ago who has a shoe company called Astara. Now, if you look up Astara, Mariah's the owner, um, they're using all sustainable products and a lot of their products are wool-based, um, merino wool-based for sure. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe you know maybe you it's can find a bunch. He's a um, he's a really wonderful guy here, and I can't think of his name, but his company is called Sheer Edge, and they're actually taking strong wool and mixing it with a uh, um, another ingredient. Oh, what is it? Cornstarch. So wool oh, and right. cornstarch, and he's making. Um, pallets exactly the same size as a plastic pallet so if a company was going to make a let's say a boat and they were going to use plastic for the hull um, so he's created this pallet made out of wool and cornstarch and it can go into the same machines so you don't have to have any new infrastructure at all and um, you put in these pallets and it creates a an alternative to plastic so at the moment um, there's a a sports company here that's making kayaks out of them. Um, I've got I've got knives in my kitchen that the handle is made with wool. So that's that's going places, and and I really hope it takes off because if you were to sell it on to these companies that are already using plastic, it, it there is no change in infrastructure. You just have to change the the product. It's fabulous. Well, I mean, when you're discussing what wool can be used for, kayaks and knife handles is not something that often comes up. Um, yeah. That's brilliant because there's a, there's a company quite near where I stay called Solway Recycling that is purely just turning these plastic pellets into whatever you want on the farm, gates, whatever, yeah? Um, yes. I mean, that could come oh, he's, made fence, he's made fence posts out of them too. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because yeah. you could bear old knowledge in Scotland than I do. <laughs> 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 we should swap this around. We should, uh, <laughs> maybe a much um, less enjoyable experience. Uh, but yeah. yeah. I mean, but great. to put it into perspective, when um, so like when we share, um, we have an eight-stand sharing board. So and we and of that though, we only use seven because the labor that is involved when the fleece hits the table is is quite large, that it's really unfair on the wall handlers to have so many shearers. So we have two tables in the shed and we have 10, 10 wool handlers. Right. And so when the fleece is thrown onto the table, there is so much work to be done on that fleece because every single part of the fleece has a different value. So there's no rubbish at all. So um, the sweaties in the first pieces, you know, cuts get skirted off the, off the fleece. Then the flanks are taken, the necks, the backs, and then what's left of the main fleece gets rolled and that goes to a classer who classes it and she decides if it's an Italian suit, if it's an icebreaker jumper, um, if it's going to be made into a pair of socks or whatever. Actually, I lie, not socks, because all, all the stuff that made, gets made into socks is all the bits that got taken off. So the Already. short wool 
back and then that gets pressed as short wool and then so when the wool comes out of our shed in the bales it's already um it's already processed into different categories and so um and then each of those bales has a has a different price that's interesting and uh, do you know it's, it's, it's I think I've said refreshing before about the wool thing already but it's, it is refreshing to hear because I mean at home the shearers are going and we're just like right chuck it in just roll it up put it in yeah. the bed doesn't yeah. matter like, worth quarter of a penny who cares you know <laughs> That's it. maybe it's worth so, more than yeah, I was going to say, on my Instagram page, in the highlight reel, I've got a, a little highlight reel there called Sharing. And in it, one of our head wool handlers, Jackie, she I got her to throw a fleece and she talks through all the pieces she does on it just so people could actually understand. And then you've got to understand that, and it is predominantly female, so the girls, they are flying oh, as amazing. they are doing, this, um, doing all this work because they've got to keep up with the shearers yeah it's it's quite something to watch it really is someone that is it good is. at i don't know if you call it rousing in new zealand but um, yeah, we do but i was trying to be yeah. correct <laughs> <We'll have laughs> <it rousy. laughs> um oh, it's do you know there's there's sheeran channels and stuff out there i hands down focus on the, the handling it's i think it's amazing yeah. um they are incredible <laughs> yeah um unable to and touch i always out. try to look or, after our girls try, i always try and look after the girls in the sense that at the end of the day, they are the ones responsible for our wool checks. You know, yeah, the sure. doing a great job of looking after our sheep, but at the you, you need to look after those girls for the fact that um, you want them to do a good job on the fleece so that when it reaches the class, it's it's looking fantastic. Um, um, yeah, yeah so. definitely. And, and how, how are... Is, is wool handlers paid sort of a per hour basis and then shearers are paid per animal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get paid really well. I think they're sort of near thirty dollars an hour, which which right. they deserve. Um, and yeah, and the shearers actually just got a pay rise. I think they're nearly on. Um, I didn't get that. Ooh. Could you try again? Siri's talking to me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I think the shearers are nearly on nine dollars a sheep. So that's so that nine dollars is about. Four seventy pounds, yeah. I believe, and and then the wool handlers are on probably just sixteen, seventeen pound. That's much yeah. better than a year, but yeah. it's and, a better industry there. Yeah, and so they're sharing about. Well, they they aim for two hundred a day. It's just mad it's to me. Good, it's a good wool check. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and I'm not going to ask you the price of your wool check and stuff like that, but that's the thing. It's it's worth while to pay that money because it's actually going to be worthwhile when it comes in. Um, in saying that, they've also got a very good union. <laughs> they sort of hold us ransom. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, we've, we've got a good union here as well, but uh, yeah. there's a lot of people aren't for it. It's certainly the case, but uh, it's good to hear, you know, you're certainly back in yours, which is good. Um, you're not sending wool out in bags, are you? It's bailed. Is that right? Yes, bailed. 185 kilos is what it gets pressed at. So do you have that in your shed? Yeah, so yeah. We, we hold we hold so many and then um, we have a truck and trailer unit here at the farm that we use to transport it to Christchurch. So um, I think off the top of my head, there's about 
650 bales that leave after all up oversharing. So I'm trying to work out 185 kilos. Is that about 70 sheep, roughly? Yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, about 60, 70. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're picking up with a telehandler unless you've got some really strong folks working in the shed. Um, yeah. <laughs> a couple of kg over the shoulder. Um, yeah, qu- quite the place. Now we've we've went through the sheep side there for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, has has um has meat prices been holding up post COVID? Because over here, meat prices have only sort of went like this. There's been dips for sure, but it's, COVID's been good for it. Uh, yeah. Is that the case with you guys as well? Yeah, it, yeah, it has. It's held steady. There's been no 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 drops or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and on the beef side. How many? Yeah, so we've got we've got about 500 head of cattle. It sits around that sort of number. Um, they're an Angus and Hereford cross, and they 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 thrive on this high country. They um, we've got a lot of scrub, um, a roasted berry, a or briar, and they right. love that. Um, there's lots of springs and creeks that, of course, have nice fresh shoots all around them. They um, and then they love the roughage of, of up higher as well. So they do really well. Is <laughs> about to ask you a completely random question from what you've said. It's probably not what anyone's picked up on the whole thing, but is rose hip the flavour of Turkish delight? Do you know, I'd never thought about that, but that actually might be nearly spot on. I think it is. I think you're right. And I never knew that, but you're right. Yeah. It does taste, yeah. I could just about everyone's like, why Angus, why Hereford? Uh, how many is yep. there? Like, Turkey Turkey like. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you're, you're saying it a baker, grows like a weed here, an absolute weed. Oh, does yeah. it? Oh, well, so much. Yeah. You're you're a, you're certainly a, a quite an accomplished baker, so maybe you can integrate it into that as well. Um, well my mum remembers picking rosehips as a little girl for her mum to make into rosehip syrup. And so I got the recipe and there's no way I'm doing that. It's incredibly labour intensive. Oh, is it? <laughs> They're terrible. When you open up a rosehip, it, um, it has a really thick skin on the outside, but the inside is, well, and saying that it's prickly on the outside, and the inside is completely covered with um, seeds. So you have to boil them and then steep them and then you get the note. That's no, my pay grade. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You'll have to get onto the shearers' wages to be like doing the rosehip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what was going to say? What was going to say? Yeah. What What age are you? Uh, what age are you keeping the cattle till? Are you selling them store? Are you selling them fat? Um. <laughs> yeah. So we we um obviously keep replacements and things like that, and then yeah, they get sold at all about. I know that 13, 14 month sort of stage. I'm not too good on I'm good on the wool, but I'm not too good on the yeah. kettle, sorry. For what it's worth, I'm the same. Don't worry. Um yeah. I just like to cover the cow side so the cow people that are yeah. listening are not the cows that are listening. <laughs> I think I said the cows that are listening. The cow the people that <laughs> not the cows. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um I obviously want to just Turkish delight. That's the thing that's uh, <laughs> confusing, confusing everything here. Um I've mentioned that you uh, are a uh, are a baker. Um, yes. Now, if you'd like to turn your camera around, now what you'll have to do is make a noise as you do it because it'll jump to the camera with the noise. Um, yes. Everyone can see just how good a baker that is. Turn you around. Can you? Oh, can you see that? Can see that perfect. There you Lovely. go. So, um, 
Do you have Maltexo? I'm trying to point. Do you have Maltexo in Scotland? It's like a malt syrup, like a golden syrup, but it's made with malt extract. I don't think so. Maybe. No. So there are Maltexo biscuits. And then this one is a station brown. Oh, whoopsies. Sorry, there we go. This one's a station brownie. So okay. it's sort of like a chewy, a chewy um, fruit um, kind of brownie. And then these are the classic Kiwi or South Island cheese rolls. So a creamy cheese mixture in there and you grill them and slather them in butter. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I was, I was saying earlier, I was going to bed soon. I'm just hungry and uh, it's just, it looks brilliant. Um, uh, <laughs> we must have, I'm just not a baker. I cook a lot more than I bake. No. We probably do have that. Um, be honest, be I think you should because it's a byproduct from the beer factories. Oh, probably then. Probably. Uh, <laughs> Might yeah, just mom, be called something different. Just mom. Yeah, my mum my, my will be listening thinking, of course we've got that Wallace. How can't you know that? Anyway. Um, Here in New uh, Zealand, our mums used to give us a teaspoon of it because it's it's great for energy. It's obviously high in sugar. And so it was sort of seen that a teaspoon of that in the morning would get you on the school bus and off to school. So I just got the beer instead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I'm going to try and impress you here, and I'll probably do it wrong, but we'll give it a shot. Um, there's a reason that you have a lot of food sat on your counter there. It's not all for yourself, I assume. I mean, don't judge me. Oh. Um, but that is for, and I'm probably going to say this statement wrong, but I believe that is for Smoko, which I believe is the translation for uh, afternoon tea. No, no, oh. morning tea. Morning, morning, morning tea. tea. Yeah. And afternoon tea. Smoko oh, is, yeah, so smoko is, um, was sort of termed that way in the farming communities here in New Zealand, but also across in Australia as well, that you would break at, I don't know, your elevenses to, um, to, to have a smoke, have a cup of tea and a smoke and a bite to eat. Now, of course, smoking, not many people actually smoke. I think we've got one employee that smokes. Yeah. But um, and it's just a, a reference, a term now for, for stopping and having a cuppa and a bite. Yeah. So are, are, you, are you in charge of feeding the staff? Yeah. Staff? Yeah. That's so, not a thing um, here anymore. That doesn't happen here it, at all now. It's really sad. I think it's I sad. And, and I advocate for it because... Um, the station here has obviously always been a large property and always employed a large um, amount of people. And so for years, years, um, there was always a station cook employed and they hit, would live in a house and she would cook breakfast, lunch, tea, plus smokos for the, for the staff. And um, then obviously as the farms become more automated, obviously less staff, the, the role of the cooks would have fell to the farmer's wife. <laughs> and um <laughs> and so but it's one of those things that you could let slide life is busy but at the same time we employ a lot of young staff a lot of a lot of people who maybe uh, have just left school or one or two years out of school and um I don't know about over there but these days the art of making conversation or holding a conversation without being distracted by a phone in your pocket those sorts of things is actually a real concern, but we sort of see it as by stopping and, and having a cuppa, sitting down, you, you become part of a family, become a part of a, a culture, an environment 
where you join in in a bit of banter, have a laugh, um, and and at the same time you can talk about what's coming up next. And I think if you didn't have that chance, farming could be quite lonely, especially here where you know a young boy picked up his. Um, I say young boy, he's probably your age, 24, 25. Um, he picked up his his lunch this morning and he's going to be on a horse by himself for the day today. So, and, and he loves that. But um, if we were doing that every day and not having a chance to meet up, it, it could be quite a lonely experience. That, that makes sense. And I never thought of it from that sense because, I mean, when I said it doesn't happen here, for example, at like times like Sheeran or whatever, it's like a feast now my mum mm. and I'll say my mum because I think and my dad will be listening it would be unfair to involve my dad in the credit of this <laughs> uh, well basically the shearers come here not planning a place to go next because they'll be full <laughs> you know and, yeah. it, and I, I like that and that camaraderie of meeting up with folk especially post-covid and and you're talking mm. about being out on horseback and that sort of thing it's it's lonesome work farming in a lot of cases and and we've got a lot of mental health issues certainly here suicides and farming and that same, sort of yeah. thing it's yeah. the same with yeah. you guys um yeah the same um th- that's really worthwhile um it is yeah. and i think it's um it, it can the pressure can sometimes be over consuming we, we've talked about carbon we've talked about negative impacts from governments and things like that and if you're lost in your head on your own too much I can I can see how things do escalate um, I'm not saying a cup of tea and a biscuit's going to fix it but at the same time if it opens up conversation and and allows somebody to get something off their chest or have a laugh then I think it is really important a cup of tea and a biscuit, like you say, probably won't fix it itself. But what will fix it is having yourself and Joe and everyone else they work with, not just being someone that, oh, I've got to do what they say. You know, they're, they're mm. just, we're part of a family. Yes, I've got to do what they say. But, you know, I have a support basis here. That can change it. Um, yeah, I think so. No, I like that. I and like and that. then <clears throat> the other side of it that, for me, is that, yes, I had a, a profession before we, we moved back here to the farm, but... Um, when I became a mother I, I really wanted to be at home with the girls it, it, to me well, they're both now at school and I can't tell you where that time went it went so fast <laughs> and so being able to and, and I'm, I'm aware I'm really lucky I was able to be here with them I know that's not the case for everybody but for me to earn a little bit of pocket money by 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 taking on this role has, has really been a great opportunity for me to be at home with the girls doing it as well. But then a chance for them when I go out to deliver Smoko, wherever it is, they come with, so they get to be involved in the day-to-day farm life. And, and so it just creates a spiral of positive farming experiences. So you just pointed something out, I've obviously misunderstood this. Smoko isn't just for the folk that work with you. It's for folk around is that right oh no 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 for, for everybody on our property but right. of course I've got to quite often I will drive it out to wherever they're working yeah because the property is so large they can't come home for it so yeah. quite often I'll I'll drive out to where they are got you got you and that again is another chat for 10-15 minutes that that can that can be worthwhile I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug 
the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Um, oh, that's, that's that's so cool. I, I was I was aware of what Smoko was to a point, but there, there's obviously more to it there. I like that. And and we're saying what's for Smoko. Um, if you want to follow uh, Philippa, if you haven't already got her book, which we'll come into in a minute, um, on Instagram, it's, it's is it underscore what's underscore for underscore Smoko? Is that what it is? It's, Nearly just minus yeah. one underscore. So at what's underscore for underscore smoko. And it's really funny because um, when I started it, it, it was more a case of I just wanted to find a network of other people like me, you know, where we could share recipes and get ideas. And I never really put too much more into the thought of my name or my Instagram handle. And now, of course, as it's sort of um, become more popular, it's 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 a good conversation starter, but a lot of people like don't know the term smoko. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else I would have called it, though. Yeah, but it's a conversation starter. And it's funnily enough, back in episode 58 with Andrea Fleming, who you may or may not follow uh, in the States, that fit advocate uh, talks about the sort of I've made this name that's nothing to do with me. Should I change back? And she's like, well, no, it's me now. It is now. Me. Yeah. Yeah, so it is probably you now, you know. Or to be honest, it's got to the stage that I could be somewhere and someone will yell, It's the smoker girl. <laughs> you just think that's your name. <laughs> um, oh, good, good. Uh, yeah, the, the recipes, by the way. Oh my god, some of them look brilliant. Um, Thank you. yeah, and do you know, just the well fed, you know, nothing too fancy. Um, like I said earlier I've got another book coming out and we're trying to think of a name and um, my husband Joe thinks we should call it um, the gluten and dairy tolerant book (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing I like that (laughs) because it is full of gluten full of dairy (laughs) do not buy it if you have an allergy or an intolerance I love that it's like you know um, everyone's looking for these you know whatever daily uh, diet your preference books and you're like yes. nah this is not for no. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of meat full of dairy full of gluten do you know there, there's something quite appealing to that name like genuinely <laughs> i really like that uh i like that a lot um yeah i mean most of the a lot of the well not most of a lot of the recipes are sort of baking and um, which i just don't try because i just i'm dreadful at baking um relatively good cook being a chef in my past and that sort of thing but i cannot bake to save myself so uh, yeah but these mom, ones are mom, pretty simple they'll turn turn anyone into um, <laughs> you know master chef i have been contacted with one and i can't remember what it was when i spoke to my mum and said I'd messaged you mention my mum a lot in this podcast but she's a big fan so um <laughs> the, she she made the recipe I can't remember exactly what one it was but I know she was trying it last night so I'll have to ask her how it went um but writing a book it's not just a I'll write a book um what, what made you write a book it's a, a high country life isn't it? no a, yeah high country life yeah, high right? country life yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> um I was actually approached so I'd obviously started the, the Instagram account and um, the head publisher of this publishing house got in touch and asked would I write the book. And um, over here, there's a really great series of books written by a lady named Mona Anderson. And she sort of wrote them in the 60s and 70s. And she lived up the Rakaia Gorge, which is 
in the absolute middle of nowhere. The first book, the first chapter is about when she was first married and she had to cross seven rivers on the back of a horse and cart with all of her wedding presents to get to her married life. And, and so the book carries on from there about, and it's called, her first book is called A River Ruled My Life because of course, if it flooded, they were locked in all the rest of it, right through to having children, having to cross the rivers to get out. And um, so when the publisher got in touch with me, she sort of had this romantic idea that perhaps I might have a similar story. And I had to sort of say, well, actually, um, our driveway is, is nearly two kilometres long. But at the end of our driveway is a state highway. And, and if I want milk, it's only five minutes away. And, um, and so I was like, oh, that's not the story you're going to get from me. I'm sorry. But and so then we thought, well, she still thought there was a story. And so she said, well, perhaps you could write it from the perspective of a cook on a station so I was like oh we could do that and how long does it take it must be some period of time well yeah really lucky in the first one um we went into lockdown in the March and um I think it was due in say the June and so that was actually really good we also went into lockdown with um, to help exes. Do you are you aware of help ex? It's it's a worldwide thing. It's a little bit like woofers, but you don't have to be organic or um, help ex. Yeah, so H E L P X. And anyone listening, if you want to come to New Zealand to be a help ex, come. But what they do is they um, they volunteer their time for four hours a day, and in return, I'll feed and accommodate them. And then the rest of the day is theirs. So normally they start at eight and work till lunch. So have breakfast and lunch with us. And then they go away and just explore or, or, what, or work on the farm, whatever they would like to do. And then come back for an evening meal. And we've had some really great help exes over the time. And when we went into lockdown, we went into lockdown with um, an English girl and a German girl. And... Um, and, and so I had, well, the German girl actually managed to get a repatriation flight home, but we kept May, um, this gorgeous 20-year-old English girl, and my girls loved her. So I wrote a book in lockdown while May had a bit of fun <laughs> looking, looking after the kids. So, um, yeah, that worked really well. Of course, this time round, there's been no lockdown and the girls are as busy as ever and I'm really struggling to meet my deadline. <laughs> There's no me. <laughs> <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I didn't. I didn't expect you to have a deadline. I just thought it would be. I'm going to uh, write this, and then <laughs> very much yeah. a deadline. Yeah, it's actually ten days away. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I, be, I, I, I don't want to put pressure. Is it finished? <laughs> Or is it, yeah, yeah, no, it is. All the recipes have already been handed in, and so have all the photographs, which are spectacular. Um, a photographer took, not me. Um, <laughs> I and, like the confidence. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. Yeah, very good. Just a lot very of good reading. And the name still isn't there, but uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be one coming, Dale of Aaron, for uh, once it is ready. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> So, so help X is a bit like work away, but it sounds better. 
Yes. Yeah. And it is, it is worldwide and it's, yeah. it's absolutely fabulous. And um, we've been waiting for so long for our government to open up our borders and it's just finally happened. And so we, we're really hoping that we'll be able to get some more people. It's, it's really great. And it's so wonderful for our girls to meet people from all around the world. And, um, you know, when they were younger, three and four, they won't remember it now, but running around and, you know, speaking, well, not speaking French, but bonjour. It's fabulous. It. And, um, and our dog disowns us because she, she loves living with them, not us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's, it's just a really great way for us to meet new people. Them help us with little tasks that we, we wouldn't normally get done. And then in return, it sort of offers them a little bit of a home when you're away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it sounds quite interesting. I mean, I've, I've, I've actually, since you've mentioned it, got a few folk in mind that I think it would benefit. Um, yeah, send them our way, please. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll vet them, so I'll give you the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, very good, very good. And uh, yeah, so so books on the way, um, yes. exciting times. The first time there was a lockdown, you guys seem to have been locked down forever. Um, yeah. How has that been? Now, at first, you know, uh, the UK and the US were fighting as to who could kill the most people with coronavirus, and it was all not that good, and New Zealand was doing really well. Um, but we once we realised, for sure, once we realised, right, okay, it's not good, but we have to just go to some kind of normality, you guys didn't. How was that? Yeah. And well, here on the farm, it didn't stop. Like, obviously, animals still have to be tended to and, and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah, it was a long it was a long time and perhaps a little bit too unnecessary. Um, you got to give got to give the government credit for that initial lockdown and the way they handled it. And, um, and, and our health services survived. And, and there was a very little number of deaths. And, and I think that is spectacular. But then as it went on, my personal belief was that it was, um, it was more about control. And, and um, we, we started to feel very controlled. And then it, it even came down to um, people who chose not to be vaccinated were ostracized, weren't allowed to go places. Um, and, and it just became actually a little bit scary there for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, not, that's not enjoyable. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like you say, it worked in the, the start, but I, I'd never considered the control idea, but that makes sense. Um, the vaccination thing was an interesting one. I'm not going to get into pro no. anti-vaccine. <laughs> not going to touch on it. <laughs> no, for sure. But I, I'm quite happy to say, and I've said it a few times, I did not want it. Not because I'm anti-vax. And it, it, people laugh at me when I say this. My biggest fear on this planet is needles. I'm petrified of them. I was sick many a time before the vaccination. I was faint and everything. Um, and I, I, I think I got one. Did I get a second? I can't remember. But there were some people that were like, not going near him. Honestly, <laughs> like, yeah. fair enough. But when it, but I noticed in New Zealand it was pretty major. Like it was almost oh, like a divide, you know. Um, it, it became it became a divide, and it became when I say it became scary. It it started to mirror. It started to mirror a lot of things that have hadn't happened in history across the world with segregation, and yeah. and that's 
I think they then did recognize that and it all of a sudden became a little bit less. But um, when it comes to vaccination, um, when I say that Joe and I are mere employees, but we, we do do a lot of decisions with, with his father-in-law, but we had to look at it from the point of view that being the business owners, we had to lead, we had to look after our staff. So if that meant that we became double vaxxed with boosters, then we were in a sense protecting our staff as well. Yeah. And, 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 and so that was fine. And I wasn't against the vaccines and, and gosh, I think they probably helped me when I did get it a lot lesser than, than other people's symptoms. But um, I, I just didn't enjoy that friends of mine were no longer able to come to meetings um, that, you know, you would you would have a girls' night out and they weren't allowed in the restaurants. Um, that, oh, yeah. it got like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, not, yeah. Good. that's yeah. not good. Yeah. No, no. And you, you had a little pass. You had a little pass and you had to show it. It got scanned at the front of the cafes. And yeah. So we had that for all of about a week, maybe a fortnight. And folk yeah. were like, nah, <laughs> this is not good. Uh, yeah. It, it disappeared like that. Um, it, it basically went everywhere. was like, you need this passport, I think they called it. Uh, and I, ju I just screenshotted one of my mates. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but it's funny you say it helps when you got it. That's obviously the case. And don't for a minute think I'm saying those that created the vaccines aren't good. They're geniuses, all this sort of thing. The speed they've done is phenomenal. But the time I had COVID before the vaccine, like had I not been told to test, I wouldn't have known. And then the time I had it after the vaccine, I was in hospital. Well, I had, had to go to check to get checks in hospital. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, here. We're not getting into vaccines and stuff, but um, it's it's that's that's worrying the whole not being able to go to meetings and stuff like that. I don't I don't like that. And when you said no, segregation, I, I was like, hmm, but then you're actually that's a correct word. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's, it's quite cool. Uh, Philippa, there's there's a there's obviously a big uh, patio door or certainly a big window window behind you. And I can't quite huh. see what the weather's like. But could you Hold tell on. us? About, could you tell us sort of what like the, Make it. there um, we go. Oh my God, what a view. There we are. Holy shit. That is gorgeous. Wow. <laughs> I'm drying <laughs> pumpkin seeds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That is absolutely beautiful. Wow. Um, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. What I was going to say was, um, could you tell us a bit about the calendar in New Zealand from a seasonal, from a, like, a climate perspective? Um, because it always confuses me <laughs> what seasons different side of the world is. That'd be great. Yeah, so at the moment, we're just coming out of a winter. We've had a very cold, very wet winter. Um, in the month of July, we had over 200 mil of rain, which is right. too much, too much <laughs> for us. We're very wet. We've had a lot of damage, a lot of damage to our farm roads and, and things. Um, but yet here, here in Automatata, we, we would have frosts on the ground, you know, minus minus five, minus four, most mornings. And then we sort of get into a day. We have lovely clear blue skies most, most days in the winter. And we sort of sit around that 10 degree mark right through to scorching, scorching hot summers over our Christmas New Year period. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you're all in the cold at Christmas time, um, snuggled up, you know, eating massive big roast dinners. Of course, <laughs> of course here in New Zealand, you know, having a large Scottish and English heritage, we sit down to those same dinners, except that it is 
30 degrees outside and no one can be bothered eating turkey but someone's made it or you know a roast and and then someone's made plum pudding and you you're sort of left going I've got it's too hot to eat plum pudding and custard <laughs> would it not make more sense to just go down the sort of barbie route for Christmas and then have like a Christmas in the winter like you know wouldn't it wouldn't surely. it surely <laughs> God, I made I made a pasta last night and it was too hot. I was like, nah, <laughs> not having this. Um, for, for those of you listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, it's what you talked about. This will be coming out probably in October. We're filming this in that really hot heat wave at the start of August, uh, where it was 29 degrees today. It's currently half past 10 and it's 22 still, um, which for a 20 stone man who's Scottish is just too much. Uh, it's, uh, it's killing us here. But um, yeah, it's quite interesting to hear that. And I've just clock something jumped to my brain from like the first sentence you said when you came on um you said you were scanning so does that mean you're lambing in like september october well october yeah, yeah so we but, always yeah. lamb we're probably one of the latest farms to lamb and the reason for that is obviously our altitude and um and also in spring here it is common to get snow so um, we leave the lambing as late as possible. So we're normally lamb marking, we call it, but tailing, docking, what do you call it? Yeah, marking. But, but yeah. it's marking time to tail dock. Yeah, yeah. So we're, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're usually crossing every finger and toe that it's done before Christmas Eve. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is quite late. Whereas here in New Zealand, in the North Island, that they're docking now tailing now yeah well for 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 us it's sort of you know mid to mid to late may is is the the yeah. time is this oh i can't get it's so obvious it's just the flip but for some reason yep. I've, I've never been able to get my head around it it's just yes yeah, stupidity you get so used to some something don't you um but no it's been really interesting to chat it's been quite fun i've went on this sort of pilgrimage with my my podcast over the last about yeah, 10 yeah. years where I've really wanted to go to lots of places. So I've had previously, prior to the, the 50th episode, I've had folk from Iceland, I've had uh, a Kenyan, but in, in the UK, I've had Americans, but haven't really went out of Britain aside that, have I at all? I don't think so. Um, so yeah, it's been quite cool to go to Canada, to Australia, uh, New Zealand as well. Um, over the last week so I've really enjoyed it uh, I've really enjoyed the chat I think it's fantastic that your mama has a copy of my book on her kitchen table <laughs> well I just think that's absolutely exceptional it's do you know it's quite weird I followed you on Instagram right uh, for I don't know maybe probably two months three months just having followed it oh, it's really cool and then I went back home to my mom and dad's uh, for a part of the summer holidays like from teaching and uh Mum had mentioned this person, so really, she'd be really good for your podcast. And mum will quite often tell me folk for the podcast, and she like drip feeds me. So I'm like, oh, mum, just tell me a bunch of folk at some point. So she then messaged me. She was like, oh, this one with a book, this sort of thing. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I think I follow this person. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's quite cool to 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 chat to someone like I say that I think I said off camera that's been sat on her kitchen table, but I meant the book, not yourself, uh, as I said earlier. Um, really, really good chat. So I appreciate that. I do have one question. Before mm. the last two questions that there always is, um, you refer to the place's station. Is that because it was a train station or something like that? Or yeah, why is that? Question, you it? guys say station often. Yeah, we do. So <laughs> a station is a term usually for a large farm or property. Yeah. And ah, usually okay. sheep as well. You don't you don't refer to a 
Oh, no, sheep and beef. Yeah, so sheep and beef farms, yeah. usually of a, of a larger size, are referred to as a station. Right. And that's about all I can answer. Yeah. No, I've, I've always, because you often hear folk in Australia and New Zealand talk about a station, and, and uh, yeah. I always wondered if it was like in previous, you know, the previous times, in history, historic times, that there would be a station that the, the stock would be transported through, but that is not the yeah. case. Um, no. <laughs> learn something new every day, learn something new every day. But there is two questions, Philippa, that we finish off every single R2 cast with. Um, the first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully um, four years and 11 and a half months before that, you'll have released a book. But where do you see yourself in five years? And uh, a few tips for folk coming into farming or maybe coming into being a smoko cooks, what would they be? Oh, okay. So first part, um, five years. Do you know, if someone said to me five years ago, where would you see yourself? I would never have believed that I would have been an author. Um, so, oh gosh, I don't know, but it is exciting to think what it could be. I, um, my girls, my one of my girls will be leaving home for boarding school. Um, there's no high, there's no secondary schools around here. So they oh, have really? to go okay. to yeah, so they will have to go away and, and go to a boarding school. Um, so that would be interesting to see where we, we which direction we head for that. And so it will be, yeah, I don't know. Where will I be? I'd like to be outside more. I don't see myself writing another book. I'd like to, to, to be more a little bit more hands-on on farm. I've got an aspiration to perhaps look more into our wool side of things now that the girls are a lot larger. So there we go. I'll have girls living home and and who knows what our wool business will look like. Well, I, I like the idea there. See what happens with the wool. That'll be interesting. It's just quite, it's quite a, it's boarding schools, like not an option. It just happens. That's quite a, whew, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 an, it's a necessity. Yeah. 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 So at the moment, my girls, they, they go to school 32 kilometers away. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's our nearest primary school, and um, our closest our closest secondary school would be a hundred kilometers away. Oh yeah, so we might as well just <laughs> yeah, true. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. And what was the second part? What was your second if, question? If you if you tips for folk getting into and I sort of this question can do whatever you're doing farming, authoring. That's not the word. Oh, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> Neither. Like, what would they be? <laughs> um, my tips would be, um, if you're passionate about it, share it, especially in the realm that we're in. Um, share everything. Share the ups, share the downs, share your enthusiasm, share your passion. Um, and, and then with that, if you would like to have um skills around how you share it like say you want to do it on social media do you want a blog do you want a youtube channel um don't try and do it alone there are so many people already doing it that will easily give up tips and and tricks mm. and and um advice and i think the more people that can share positive rural stories is is exceptional in the sense that um we i think it is so relevant going into a um, a society that has such extreme views of how to live, how to eat. Um, I think if we take away, I, I just don't think people realise what happens. 
and and for a long time here in New Zealand, you know, we call it two degrees of separation, but here in New Zealand, it's assumed that everyone has two degrees of separation between you and another person. Um, so once upon a time, everyone had a cousin or a friend or a family member who lived or worked on a farm, whereas now that gap is so large that um, I think really scarily, if you walked into a school in the city and asked where milk came from, I think it would blow people away that some maybe some children don't know or um you know they might believe that a sheep has to be killed to get wool they, they don't know that there's a process called shearing and um yeah so I'm think yeah the more we and, and farmers as a whole and I think in Scotland too so humble don't don't actually realize what their role how important their role is they get out of bed at god knows what hour in the morning and do their job and roll in again at night time and and don't actually realize the importance of it or um or that people would be incredibly interested in it i think that's very true um yeah i think that's a very good way of putting it and i loved your uh, if you're passionate about it share it and <laughs> what's quite funny is because your accent <laughs> i thought you said if you're passionate about it share it <laughs> you're just going to get wool from everything now <laughs> absolutely everything but uh, share it i like that a lot um because yeah we're doing well not we i'm not um farmers are doing great stuff they're they're uh, they're feeding the planet they're how uh, sheltering the planet but we sometimes the uh what would you say the the credit isn't given to them and i think sharing it is is a good way of doing that so no very good tips i would say i like that a lot um i hope you've enjoyed your time on the articast philip that's been a great chat thanking you it's been pretty good just pretty good oh god i'll just get there next time Actually, i was going to tell you one last story it was about um yeah. How I'm sitting on your mum's kitchen table. So when um, when I was in Scotland as a young 25, 26 year old girl, um, I was sitting in my friend's ma's kitchen in, in Halo on the borders there and her sister-in-law came in for a cuppa. Jennifer's kitchen seemed to be one of those places that everyone came for a cup of tea yeah, yeah. and she introduced me to her sister-in-law who told me that her son was was um, a sharer in New Zealand and, and lived in New Zealand. And I said, oh, that's really exciting. Um, you know, whereabouts does he live? And she said he lived in a little town called Pleasant Point, which is actually only about two and a half hours from here. And right. I said, oh, that's exciting. Um, you know, who does he work for? And he goes, and she said, oh, he works for um, a contractor called Adrian Cox Shearing. And I said, oh, that's crazy. That's who my boyfriend uses, obviously boyfriend at the time, uses for um, their sharing contractor. And I said, you don't happen to know where he's working at the moment, do you? And she said, oh, it's one of those places that, you know, repeats itself like, oh, mara, 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 or, and, and I was like, Ota Matata? And, and she was like, yes. And I was like, well, I know that my boyfriend is sharing at the moment at home. I wonder if your son might be sharing at his place and so um she said well his name's Colin and so later that that day when the time zone worked I rang Joe and I was like could you just go onto the onto the board and just see if there's a sharer called Colin Imry and so while I was sitting in Jennifer's kitchen in Scotland um Colin was was standing sharing sheep on my boyfriend's family farm it is a small old world isn't it that's isn't brilliant. it incredible there you go what? so from 
And now my book is sitting on your mum's kitchen table. That's well, it, it's not just sitting on it, it's been read often and used often. <laughs> and, and now that now the sort of busy season of the summer's finished, uh, it will be getting utilized quite quite prominently, I'm sure. Oh yeah, brilliant story. Brilliant. And you know, um probably someone in the south of Scotland that's in the farming community, I'll be some way not related to but you know have some kind of connection to as well so i probably know the guy myself but uh, yeah it's it's a, it's a small world especially the farming world love it there's always a connection um like like we saw this morning uh, you um commented saying to the guys at arn prior um, yeah you know there's something about being in the scottish waves and that sort of thing and uh, they are very much on the on the list for the r2 cast for the for the pumpkin patches um, Sarah, um, I love their model. I tell, I tell, I won't spoil it because you'll have a podcast on it, but um, <laughs> I, I tell everybody about their business model over here because I think it's exceptional. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and, you know, Halloween, picking your pumpkin, all that sort of thing. Fantastic. Well, everyone's looking to diversify in a way, you know, and, and we've talked about wool prices and, and things like that. And um, they've they've taken that notion and and have diversified on their farm to make it viable for their family. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's you know diversification. I actually did my honours dissertation on diversification, farm diversification, and uh, it's a thing that I think it needs to happen now. I don't know where you guys are. You don't have farm subsidies, do you? There's nothing in New Zealand, no. sorry. No. All, go, all gone in the 80s or something like that. In the 80s, in the 80s, and we watched inflation rise from about 5% to, yeah. I think they were playing 26, 27% on in, overnight. Um, but you have a pretty efficient systems in general over there now. There's There's been yeah. benefits of it. There was lots of negatives to it. Definitely, we spoke with mm. mental health. That was a massive one. But um, yeah. we have them here, and we will definitely yeah. have them until 2028. We don't know after that. Um, or maybe won't have then um it's going like a 50 percent thing as of 2024 so 50 percent 2025 25 percent 2026 12 and a half 6.25 and then i think 2028 is then um but whether the uk post breaks that have something else there i don't know but the reason i'm saying this is diversification is almost imperative for a farm system to survive which is a shame from a farm perspective um but from a business perspective, it's so interesting to see some of the fantastic things. Out there. So interesting. And I think anything that you can diversify to in your life that, that doesn't involve cleaning toilets, I can <laughs> it. But I, Agreed. Agreed. To me, yeah. to me, cleaning accommodation is not how I want to diversify because I, you know, I struggle to clean my own house some days. So <laughs> very much the same. Very much the same. Now, when you turned around your camera there and we saw the cookies and that, the lovely green Rayburn, it didn't look like you struggled to tidy the kitchen. But oh. um... <laughs> that's because I, I whipped around just in case. Actually, just to just to prove a point, if I yes. turn this way, there goes the dishes. I'm not, funnily enough, not looking at your at, at the kitchen. I'm looking at the views from your house. It's insane. Um, Isn't it wonderful? Major view envy, it must be said. I mean, I currently live in a flat, so I have a view of another person's door. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's a win. Um, no, uh, it's been great to chat, Philippa. I love the stories, um, and I'm sure there's much more of where they came from. If you want to follow Philippa on uh, What's for Smoko on Instagram, I think you're on Facebook as well, but mainly Instagram, isn't it? Not uh, really. Facebook yeah. scares me. I'm there, <laughs> but not there. 
Yeah. So Instagram. Instagram's the place to Instagram's go. Place. Uh, yeah. Buy the book A High Country Life. Uh, and maybe the 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 new fantastically named book that will be ready next week. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> great stories. Really enjoyed it. It's always good to talk to someone from a different country. Um, I hope you've enjoyed your time here as well. Uh, and Thank you. It's been good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. And funnily enough, we ended on the note of diversification. Next week, we go to one of Scotland's probably most famous farm diversifications where we talk to Tracy and Ailet Rowan, uh, the two partners of uh, the Rowan Sons and Dumfries, who have created Rowan's Dairy, which are now selling uh, milk and milkshakes around the area. So, um, yeah, look forward to bringing them on next week. It's been a pleasure to have yourself, Philippa, and we will see everyone that's been listening for Articast number 65. Well, that's it. Another R2Cast finished, another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time uh, and it always has done, but I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required. And I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better, because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.